0: everyone welcome to the craig muster show a show by craig muster an executive business and life coach it's all about helping people unlock their greatness and inspiring them to rise up and live their fullest life. This podcast is all about championing, coaching, transforming leaders, business people, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and creatives through the stories and experiences of today's frontline leaders in business, government, media, and the creative arts, apologetics, and Christianity. If this is your first time listening to our show, I want you to know that Craig has tremendous passion to see people thrive while dismantling impossibilities. So subscribe and join our tribe. And hey, if you're wondering who I am, I'm Craig's co-host, Tanya Rodriguez, an amazing entrepreneur, advisor to my city's cultural arts commission, and a vision strategist. Hey guys, today, amazing show. And for all those thinkers out there, you're going to enjoy this episode because it's with my good friend and apologist carlette and is craig's wife and mother to three beautiful children so she actually has many talents as a worship leader and prophetic minister among a lot of other ones but she's also pursuing her masters in apologetics with an emphasis in science and religion from biola university craig tell us more about carlette
1: Yeah, of course, I'm excited about today because Carlette's my bestie. She's not just, uh, you know, not just my wife. She's my best friend and not just my best friend. But I don't know. I don't have conversations with anybody more enjoyable than I have (laughs) with my wife. She provokes me. She pushes me. She's constantly inciting me to think in places I never would have thought before and, uh, and it's, you know, when, when I can spar with somebody mentally and they're sparring back and we're going after something that John Maxwell said years ago that I think is really important for you business owners out there, you intellectuals, you C-suite executives. He says this, he said, with issues, you want to go barefisted. with people. You want to use kid gloves. That means we've got to be able to take issues and not be afraid of, of dismantling and, and and tearing apart an issue to get to the core of it, to find out what the truth is about the issue, where the power belongs in the issue. And I've seen so many people so afraid of those types of conversations that they they don't allow any of the questions of their heart to be asked through their mouth. Because they think something must be wrong with them if they're asking that time of question. Because there's an issue unsettled in the heart about what they believe, why they believe it. Their own history seems to be combative towards what they've been told is true. And so we have an entire generation that has basically said, you know, truth is what I make of it. Truth is my experience. A, A whole generation right now that is saying, you know what, my experience is my greatest revelation of truth. But what I found is actually people can experience the same thing different ways, which means what happens when you have a real experience, but you interpret it wrongly, but you think that your experience is your highest form of truth, then you're, you're actually, you know, every other day trying to figure out which experience is more true, the one you had yesterday or the one you had today, it creates a chaotic lifestyle, truth is, is so important to today's culture. I know in my personal life as a leader, there's been seasons that I so desperately wanted to find a new truth so that I could lead with something that, that people had never heard before. You know, I think that's, that is a pit, trust me, you do not want to find yourself in, it is in a desire to catch people's attention. And the desire to lead in a way that no one's ever led in the history of mankind because somehow you're that one, that, that one that's going to find that new truth that no one else has seen. And I remember feeling this drivenness inside of me thinking, man, I got to find something that, that no one else has seen yet. I got to find the thing that's going to cause me to stand out from everyone else. And what that lead led me to is sometimes falsifying truth or toning it down in a way. Or not going to the root of it to figure out of what I was even saying was true as long as it sounded cool. And that is not a good place to be. And trust me, building your life on trying to sound good is not a good way to build it. Building your business on non-factual truth, not a good way to build your business. Building leadership or your community from things that are not certain, not a good way to build it. So I found this, is if you found, quote unquote, a truth that no one else has seen in history, there's a good chance it's not true. Truth by nature is ancient. It's been around. And there has got to be a deeper hunger for truth that is ancient. With a modern expression, that means we're not trying to tickle people's attention with a truth that's not been around for a long time, as if, you know, somehow this is going to be superior to truth that's been around for for centuries. But we can definitely find foundation in truth that's tested. It has actually been tested over time and proved to be true. And then from that place, we can find modern expressions. That means expressions that make sense to the people around us in today's age. Don't try to find modern truth with ancient expressions. Don't try to you know, put a bunch of makeup on that modern truth to make it look like somehow it's ancient. And I see that happening so much right now. And it's frustrating me because people are trying to... Th- to put take this modern truth that they think is is going to be so powerful and then they make it sound ancient like it's been around forever but it hasn't and it's weak it's weak truth it has not gone through the testing of time so this is a passionate subject i think we need to go into and understand that it's okay to have questions it's okay to question and it's okay to reason It's okay to have conversations around what is truth. Is there absolute truth? Is it knowable? Philosophies sustain atmospheres. What does that mean? Because everybody has a philosophy, whether they say they do or not, and their philosophies are oftentimes determined by what they believe to be true. And for that reason, amongst many others, I really wanted Carlette to be a part of one of the first episodes of this podcast, because this is something she has devoted her life to. It's not just theory for her, the discovery of truth. It's not just something that she's simply giving a a nod with mental consent towards, yeah, truth is important. She has actually invested years of her life into discovering ancient truth and into bridging the gap between the heart and the head. So with that, I mean, I'm excited. I'm so excited she's with us today. Carlette was born in Mexico City. She was saved when she was six and, and became a pastor's kid when she was 10. Her experience in the church led her through seasons of wrestling. It led her through seasons of asking questions about the truth of the Christian faith. And God took her on a personal journey of discovery that has allowed her to experience the validity of the truth that Jesus claims the claims that Jesus made in the Bible. She has been saved, healed and delivered and set free by the love, truth and power of God. And her life is dedicated to helping others discover his fullness of life. She is a lifelong learner and is currently enrolled in the science and religion master's program at Biola university. Her passion in life is to see Jesus get his full reward. She loves him, his mission, his ways, his word, his church, and his people. In addition, she's an international conference speaker and loves to teach on a wide range of subjects, including apologetics, wisdom for life, and the power of the Holy Spirit. In this pursuit, she has had the amazing privilege of co-laboring with Jesus to see people healed of cancer, deafness, migraines, see them come out of wheelchairs, see set free from addictions, deliver from bondage, and to see marriages and families restored to wholeness. Quote, unquote, I have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future. Instead, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal that's taken out of Philippians 3, 13 through 14. So with that, I'd like to just welcome Carlette Muster. How's it going? Hey, guys. Hey, babe. Hi. Hey, Tommy. <laughs> Carlette. So good to be here. Oh, man. I can't. I can't wait to dive into some of this because, of course, I know you're I know your story. I got to experience it firsthand. <laughs> but so many people, and you know, I mean, we see, we see so many people today. They don't have a safe place to ask the tough questions anymore.
2: Yes. You were saying something uh, when you were introducing as far as my life that I've this is not just a theory. It's something that I've devoted my my life to. And when you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people don't have a safe space to ask questions. I feel like that was part of my process growing up. I had a lot a lot of questions I became as as you said babe that I you know I was saved when I was 6, became a pastor's kid when I was 10. I've been in church life, church ministry, church experience from so many different places and sides, you know, for so long that uh, I think there there was just an expectation whether imagined or real, meaning I don't know if it was put on me or I put it on myself that I just had to have faith and I had to believe. And there was no room for for asking the questions in my mind that I, I wrestled with. And yet I would always take them to God. I would always ask God challenging questions. And I felt like he never was offended by my questions. I didn't always feel like they were answered, but I, I never feel like he rejected the questions when I brought them to them. Even when I was in the back of my mind felt like, is this, is this okay for me to ask? But sometimes, you know, with the, with the leaders around me or in in the places that I was at, the kinds of questions that I was asking, either people didn't have answers for, or they were not the kinds of questions that people were interested in, in, in talking about. Most people are interested in talking about questions that pertain to life and existence, existential questions about your own life and how do you resolve struggles and how do you go after your dreams and all of those things. And all of those things are great questions that we all need to ask. But I also had a lot of questions about ultimate truth. What is, what is actually ultimately true? And if, if this is in God's word, then why are people teaching this? And, and if this is really true, then why do we see this and not this? And I had all those kinds of questions, but I didn't know at that time, that there were actually answers to those questions.
1: Being in that in-between spot of not necessarily feeling like you had a safe place to even ask them, what did that develop inside of you? And then, and then how did you ultimately find a place to ask those questions in a way that was healthy?
2: I feel like our lives, you know, there's, there's themes that are reoccurring. And so we, we have these questions and these things that we wrestle through. And and they surface throughout our lives in different ways. And and as and and because we're living our own story, there's there's moments in those stories that feel like a climax or a key point, a key a key point in the story that confronts the issues. And part of that was for me in high school, I was in a philosophy class and we had to discuss the question of origins. Where did life begin? How did the universe come into existence? And I was completely underprepared for those questions. And uh, the professor had us, you know, divide into groups according to our beliefs and being, you know, growing up in a Christian family, I believe that God created the the universe and everything that exists. So I was in the creation group and being the public speaker that I've always been, (laughs) I was connected by my group to be the one who presented to the class. Our, our thoughts and ideas. But I quickly realized that as underprepared as I was, everyone else in my, my group was even more underprepared. I'm, I, at least I, I had been brought up in a house that had a value for the Word of God. So I had the Word of God, but I had nothing else. I didn't have any arguments for philo- from philosophy, any arguments from science, any arguments from any other place except for the Bible. And but at least I had that. My, my other friends, they had no clue. They had no idea. They just, you know, they they we, we were in Mexico. So we they all went to Catholic church on Sunday. So they had kind of an, a, a belief, but they didn't know why. And so I was the one to present. And I presented my case as if I were speaking to people in a church, you know, from the Bible, presenting evidence from the word of God. But I soon realized that in a secular environment like I was in, that was not enough because obviously my classmates did not have a value for the Bible and my professor did not have a, va- a value for the Bible. And the arguments turned kind of kind of intense and personal. And it was interesting because there were so many different views during the class, but it seemed like everybody could discuss their views. But when it came to the Christian worldview, I don't know, something about it just it felt really personal and I was the only one in my class with that really strong conviction. So I, I felt pretty attacked and I felt like God abandoned me in that space and, and, and just kind of, you know, so I made an internal vow that I didn't even realize I had made to later on in my life. But I kind of made a vow in that moment that, well, you know, I guess faith is just blind faith. And I had enough of a relationship with God to at that moment say, I'm not going to stop believing in God. I'm not going to stop believing in the word of God, but I have no evidence outside of it to prove my faith. So so I kind of reduced my faith in that moment to my experience with God. And that was it. There was nothing outside of that. And I, I even wrote my paper on that and said, you know, I, I have no evidence, I have no proof, but... I believe this and this and this, and I will not change my mind, kind of a thing.
0: How how old were you? I know you said 16. You were 16. Yes. So you were taking on (laughs) evolution. evolution. (laughs) Concept of evolution at age 16. That's pretty rad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And interestingly enough, I got an A in that paper. I I think the professor just was interested in, in us supporting our own thoughts. And you know, at that age, he wasn't expecting. Us to be philosophers, so he had he had mercy, but I I felt pretty defeated. I felt pretty abandoned by God, and I felt like faith doesn't have a reason; it just is, and I and that's all that I have is just my my relationship with God.
1: Well, and I think that you know, for a lot of people, this is the crux that have had the background, whether it's you know, passed on faith, meaning they're just brought up with with mental consent towards something. But if there isn't, number one, I, I guess I would say if there isn't the hunger to actually discover truth and if there isn't the atmosphere to be able to ask questions, because I think I think sometimes people just, they've been fine with not asking the questions. I know a lot of people, even in a good atmosphere where you can ask anything, they don't, you know, they're, they're, they're fine. But I, I've seen, I, I guess from, from my experience, I've seen a lot of times, people have questions they want to ask them, but they don't know how. They don't know where. They don't know with who. Because it, because who you ask, man, that can be a scary event. And, and I know, you know, 16 years old, you're asking these questions. You begin to ask, and then you sh- kind of shut down. And then 20 years later, you're senior pastoring. I mean, we're leading this church plant. You're about... It's a perfect time to ask questions, by the way, everybody, all you (laughs) listeners out there, wait till you're pastoring and leading a church to ask the tough
2: questions.
1: (laughs) This is so much fun when you're, when you're leading and you know, it was 2011, I think it was 2011, 2012. And you began to ask these questions as, as a leader, what inspired you? to begin to think again? What inspired you to begin to actually ask the questions?
2: I feel like there there were a few key things uh, around those years that felt like a, a, a holy setup, to be honest with you. One is I had been growing in, in my faith in this context of just relationships. So, you know, we tend to say truth is a person. I'll circle back around to that. But it was it's it's everything's just very relational. everything's very experiential. And in that, I had kind of ended in, up in 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 this culture that was very, you know, prone to to mysticism and supernatural and spiritual encounters. and and I had a lot of experiences with god and, and things that happened during that time. But one of the things that that began to to kind of confront me in that process was, a lot of the things that I'm hearing in this kind of a group sound a lot like what I hear in new age settings. So I would talk to some people who, who were more on the Eastern mysticism side, on the, on the Eastern kind of religions, and, and we were having conversations that sounded very similar, and it would trip me up because I'd be like, wait a second, I thought we were talking about different things, and yet we sound the same. So which one is true? And is that even a valid question? And so I I began to wrestle through that because I began to realize that the way that I was living out my Christianity had become very subjective, very experiential, and and very, very just in that realm of of mystic supernatural experience. But I couldn't differentiate sometimes between the conversations in those realms and the conversations in, you know, with some of my non-believing friends and something like an alarm started going off. Around that same time, God uh, actually kind of invited me into the journey of homeschooling. And as I began to homeschool my kids, I, the very first year that I was going to do history and I was going to do science, and I was going to do all of these things. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, your curriculum's not complete. And I took out, I took out my books and I kind of started arguing with God in that moment. And I just want to make a parenthesis for a second. I know that we might have listeners who are not, who might say, how do you hear God? Or "What, what do you mean by you heard God? And that's a whole different conversation, but I just want you to, I just want to just acknowledge your questions right now. I know that for some of you that are listening, those are questions that are coming up and we might not be able to get to that in this conversation, but just, I just wanted to acknowledge that briefly. And come back to that at, at another point. But anyway, I felt like the Holy Spirit was challenging my curriculum choices. And as I was doing that, he, he said, look at your history curriculum. And I took out my history curriculum. And he says, where does history begin? And I began to look and, you know, my history curriculum began thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago when the cavemen and all of these things. And I was just like showing God my curriculum. And he's like, that's not where history begins. And I was so confused. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, take out the Bible. And I took out my Bible and he says, go to Genesis one. And I go to Genesis one and he says, read. And I read in the beginning, God. And he says, that's when history began. Hmm. And I was shocked because of course I knew this as a Christian. But I didn't realize there was a divide in my brain that said that belongs in church, but history belongs in education. Science belongs in education. And those two things do not coincide. They don't, they don't meet. You have to teach the Bible as Bible, but history as history. And I felt like God said, I want you to begin teaching your children history from the Bible and then move on to the history cur- curriculum that you planned. And I remember those first couple of weeks that I was teaching them literally like, you know, in the beginning, God, and then teaching them the history of, of Adam and Eve, teaching them the history of Noah, teaching them the history of, of Seth and teaching them the history of the Tower of Babel and all of that. I literally could hear these voices in my head saying, you are a bad mother. You, how, how dare you do this to your children? You are indoctrinating them and teaching them Wrong things, like you're you're one of those Christians, you know, like all of these voices that I was hearing, and wrestling through that, and I managed to you know to keep going with that. And again, that's a whole other story, but that was just part of the few things that began to bring me into this place. And the last thing that was very significant was a good friend of mine that was a Christian that fell away, you know, had a had a deconstruction of his faith. And we began to have very long conversations about his process. And I couldn't understand how somebody who had been walking with Jesus could fall away. But as he began to ask me some questions, they really shook me to my core because I realized I didn't have answers for them. And all of those three things kind of set me up to begin to question the, the, the things that, that, that I had, the way that I had been living Christianity to question whether I actually believed Christianity, to question what kind of Christianity, just a lot of things that came up during that season, and it was almost like God stepped back from my life in in that season, and He allowed me to explore because I I, I stopped hearing Him in the way that I had heard Him, and it's it's like I just began to read and research and dig into all kinds of different books and materials and, you know, just getting into stuff. And I, I mean, Craig, I know you were worried for a while there. Who, who are you really? <laughs> what,
1: what in the world is going on in this house? You know, and uh, so, and just, just to say something briefly, cause you, you mentioned this, the accusations, you know, the mm-hmm. thoughts that you started having, what an awful mom you are to indoctrinate your children. I know a lot of parents that experience this, especially in Western civilization because There's such a strong ideology out there that says that as parents, we should let children just just discover who they are and not mold them. But the problem is this. Usually the voices that are saying that actually every time I've heard a voice say that, whether it comes through media, whether it comes through religion, whatever, wherever the voice is coming from, they don't want you molding. But they want to mold. They want to determine what your children believe. They want to indoctrinate your children. They want to determine the worldview of your children. They want to determine the future of your children, the ethics, the morals. They want to determine all of it. So I want to encourage you as a parent, don't believe those kinds of accusations. Somehow you're ruining your children by deliberately seeing things formed in their life. That is why you are there. You are there to be intentional. And if you are not the number one voice in their life, my question to you is, then who is? Because there are voices molding them. And if God has given you your children, it's because he wants you to be the voice in their life. In all of your imperfection, you do not have to have, you don't have to be a per, be a perfect person to help mold your children. So before we move on, because I think that's so important. And I watched, you know, you and I had to walk through this ourselves but before we, before we moved on, I just wanted to encourage parents and maybe maybe we'll do an entire episode just on how to parent children into a worldview, because I think that is a topic that a lot of parents are trying to figure out who determines our children's worldview. And I think we can just spend an entire episode. But to go back to what you were talking about, you you're asking all these questions. And I remember I think uh, what was it that the Lord told you in the midst of it? I want you to start using what
2: again? He said, I want you to begin to use your brain. This was like before he kind of took a step back. I know that, again, I know that it sounds weird when I talk about God that way to some people in certain Christian contexts. I'm not speaking here theologically, I'm speaking here experientially from, from my relationship with God. And how I've heard him speak to me. But he said, I want you to begin to use your brain. And I was a little offended uh, when I heard that. Because I, was, <laughs> what have I been doing all these years? <laughs> but that
1: is offensive in and it, in it of itself to some cultures. Is, you know, you leave your brain at the door. Have an experience. It's not scriptural, number one. So, if you know, that kind of mindset that we have to leave our brain at the door of something in order to have a spiritual encounter that's healthy is completely contrary to scripture. And it creates a very, it creates a whole bunch of chaos in people's lives needlessly. And, I, you know, and you talk about this. He, God stopped talking to you in the same way, meaning you weren't conversing anymore. In the same way that you were conversing, but you were finding God in your research.
2: Yes, and I had a, a one of one experience that I'll share in in how God was still in the process of all of this. Because yes, I, I for a season I felt like I couldn't hear Him anymore, and I couldn't that close relationship that I had with Him. I wasn't experiencing it anymore, and so it made the questions bigger. It made the doubt bigger because I was like, "Oh, well, maybe." Maybe I was just making all of those experiences up because I was tracking with this train of thought of Christianity. And now that I'm tracking with this other train of thought that now I'm seeing that it's actually not real. So I'm not experiencing what I was experiencing before. But in the midst of that, I remember one of the questions that this, this friend that, that was going through his process of deconstruction said, well, not questions, but statements. Well, one of the things that he said to me was, he says, you know that God is not personal, right? And I don't know why that shook me in that moment, uh, to be honest with you, but it kind of hit my heart when he said it. And I, I took a step back and I was like, God is not personal. I mean, this is this is like what we've been taught all of our lives in Christianity, that God is a, a personal being, that he cares about us, that you know, he's he's near to us and all of these things. And and in that moment, I just kind of I kind of took a step back and and maybe it shook me because I wasn't experiencing him in that moment in that way. And it created a lot of doubt and confusion, but I remember sitting in my car and in that moment, I just said, you know, God, if you are real and if you are personal, I, you know, I need you to show me. And it was very interesting. His response in that moment was very interesting because I did not hear anything. I did not, you know, I didn't, I I wasn't reminded of a scripture. The word of God was not coming to me as it, as it does many times when I'm asking questions, It was just like a a breeze. All my windows were closed in my car, but a breeze kind of just went through the car. And it was it was interesting that that was the 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 response in that moment because he was pulling me out of a. It's like he was there and he was meeting me, but he wasn't showing up in the way that he'd shown up before. And so it was it was it was like he was opening the door for for asking different questions. That's how I experienced it in that moment.
1: I think that is something that we've been through in multiple seasons of our life where it's, it's almost as if God has gone silent. But in actuality, what he's done is he's broadened our relationship by beginning to speak to us in a different way. And the curiosity, I think in those moments, right, We're we're either experiencing terror because we feel abandoned. Or curiosity, because we are we are certain that he's still there. So I want to encourage you, listeners. You, you know, you're hearing a story, and this is all happening in the midst of of leading a church, of being in leadership. These questions and these experiences don't internalize the silence like something you've done something wrong and God has pulled Himself away. Stay curious and just rest for a moment and say, you know what? I know he's still here. I just want to discover a new way of connecting to him. I want to encourage you right now. If you're battling that fear and that terror that somehow God has left you to figure this out on your own, it's not true. Not true. You might not be hearing him the same way, but trust me, he might be broadening your relationship to him. And you're going to go deeper than you thought you could have before this. And I think, you know, you went in, Carlette, you went into high intense cuz you don't know how to do anything any other way right i mean it's like <laughs> it, it, you're not partly involved in anything you're wholly involved in whatever you're involved in and that's so you so you went into just you, you know Ravi Zechariah's ministries RZIM which ultimately led you into going to Biola getting your masters the last several years and you know we we talk about truth, power, and love, and and I think we're we're gonna have to, when when you think about truth, and I, and I know those that that three strand chord, I want you to talk just a moment i about the power of truth, power, and love. Meaning, why the three together? What's the significance in your journey, and and how is that walked out in your life?
2: You know, when all of this was going on, uh, somebody told me about Ravi. I didn't know who he was before that. And I ordered one of his books thinking, okay, this is, a, this is a guy who has all the answers. That's what I was thinking, you know, he's going to have all the answers and this is going to be great. So I ordered his book from East to West, not knowing what it was really about. And when I got it, I realized it was his autobiography. And at first I was really disappointed because I was like, I don't, I'm not really wanting to read this man's story. I just want him to tell me the answers that he's kind of researched but as i started reading his story i started i was very very touched by it because what i saw was the combination of a, a, an encounter with god that transformed his life that led to a life journey of understanding the the truth claims of the christian faith that combination was essential to to me bridging that gap because as i said i grew up in a very experiential christianity but, you know, we talk about truth is a person and truth is a person, but truth as a person, as the person of Jesus, has a, a history in our world, in our dimension of reality, that is also has come through us through language, words, uh, propositions, history, evidence, that can be known, can be known, understood, studied, researched, grasped with our mind, that can be put to the test in our practice and in our actions and in our walking it out. And any time that Christianity moves into this just experiential nature, but begins to dismiss the foundational knowledge of the truth claims of Christianity, you move into a place where truth becomes subjective. Knowledge is non-existent truth becomes subjective and therefore my christianity is according to my own experience and theology begins to be progressive and 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 the word of god can be transformed into whatever we want it to say because it uh, it actually has no ultimate truth or or meaning behind it but whatever meaning the individual person gives it but if this is the case, if 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 that is the case, then, then all of it just kind of collapses because there is no ultimate foundation for, for the Christian faith. There is no ultimate foundation for truth. And there is no ultimate sense that we can know anything. And that's really where our culture right now is living, is in this place where you can't really know anything. And so truth is subjective and everybody can apprehend truth however best it suits them you do you you know you 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 do you and live your best life now and do whatever you want and and those things are incorporated into christianity where uh, we talk about jesus and we talk about truth as a person and we talk about these things but we are talking about my own jesus my own jesus made into my personal image my own jesus who does what i want him to do my own jesus who comforts me when i need him But who I don't have to obey or follow or or submit to, because ultimately the the meaning I give to the Bible is is mine, my own. And we don't think through all of these things. You know, a lot of people would probably not say that that's what they're doing, but really, I I, in the experiential uh, side of Christianity that that I grew up in, there was a lot of that happening. And um, so, you know, you asked me about the truth, love, and power. So. When I was listening to Ravi, I began to understand the, the the propositional nature of truth, the truth claims of the Christian faith, what is orthodox. Then later on, you know, as I continue to study, I had a great theology professor, Kevin Lewis, begin to talk, I uh, understand through the doctrines of the Christian faith and, and learning the the history of the Christian church and the truths that have been fought for and the heresies that have uh, sought to come in. And so you talk about modern truth versus ancient truth. I would actually kind of mo- more say truth is eternal, and really heresies have been here for a long time. So any there, any modern distortions are really ancient heresies dressed up uh, with modern clothing, because when you look through the history of the Christian church, this is what the apostle John was, was fighting when he was fighting Gnosticism. This is what, you know, what, what the early church fathers were fighting when they were challenging the misconceptions regarding the Trinity, when they were challenging the misconceptions regarding the nature of, of the divinity of Jesus. These are concepts and ideas that have been with us for a long time, these, these heresies, and they keep popping up in in modern terminology. But they've been around for, for a long time, which leads me to believe that they have the same source. <laughs> yeah,
1: same source.
0: But truth can be known. I mean, in all of this that you've been, you know, just to like highlight it, the truth of Jesus that he is truth, right? That that's a a truth claim, right? Jesus is the truth, the way, the life, but he can be known. There's, I think you're talking and you know, what was, you know, I've just been listening. I've just been listening because it's so important to just in this moment, while you're listening to Carlette, to, to have permission to activate your brain and to listen to what she's saying, go back and listen again and go over the podcast because you have permission to know who jesus is and if you were listening earlier carlette was talking through through experiences through history he's someone that can be known and i'm just taking a little break cuz i i've just been soaking it all up and i'm giving my self permission too as well to know truth and to discover that and And people are, I know people are going to be challenged a little bit to start thinking about the reasons, you know, their, their faith and have, it's good to have answers for your faith, because honestly, I love TV and a lot of people love TV um, and movies and all of that. It's really easy to get sidetracked, even in your faith by the messages that are being put out there for us on social media and Facebook and, and film and theater and all these things, because they could really sidetrack our faith. I mean, you do you and everything you're talking about, it just can push you slightly and it's so subtle. So, you know, and this is also permission to be intentional about seeking God and having a language for your faith, I think, is is what I'm kind of getting from you, Carlette.
2: Yeah. You're just you're you're putting into words what first Peter that said always have a reason, a response for the hope that you have believed in. Mm. So you you have to have a, a reason. There you go. Hope in which you have believed. Not just a, a testimony, but a reason. Hmm. That's a different thing. So good.
1: And I think if if people realize that knowledge in and of itself is not evil, that, because sometimes people are thinking, you know, that naivety, right, is, is ignorance is bliss. But our knowledge of who God is, is powerful. And sometimes we leave a void there because we're afraid of, we're afraid of, you know, discovering the man behind the curtain if we get too close to God. You know, if we get too much knowledge, we'll see the man behind the curtain and it'll mess with our image of God. But that's not the case. I mean, I've, I've watched, you know, of course, from a personal, not just a bird's eye view, but an up close view, since you have started asking these questions and gone to community and gotten vulnerable. And ask the questions of your mind and the questions of your heart. Your faith has not done nothing but increase. And your connection to God has been not, done nothing but broaden. And And so my challenge today to anybody listening is don't believe the lie that we just need love but not truth. Or let's just demonstrate the power of God but not truth. You know, love without truth is inferior. It's not even real love. It's not even real love in the same way that love without power is not even real love. Love is by nature must consist of truth and power in real truth. The person of of truth, Jesus is perfect love and he's all powerful and you can't divide these three things. And so I encourage you to go on a journey today and I'm going to ask Carlette just to bless you. To go on the journey, but to not do it in isolation, to find a good community to ask the questions with, and find a safe place to do it to where you don't don't find yourself in a black hole of never actually coming up with answers. Because I found in today's society, it's okay to have questions but not answers. I'm talking about uh, secular thinking. Let's all just keep asking questions but never come to a resolve of what a solution is or an answer. And that's going to keep us in a constant state of being just double-minded. So go on your quest. Ask the questions. But also find the answers. And be okay when you find the answers to not keep asking the same questions over and over again. Carlette would you just take a moment and just just to uh, speak over the listeners and challenge them on their journey as they go after truth like never before.
2: Can I say one thing before yes. I do that? Because you mentioned something that triggered this thought. We don't realize how much uh, of the philosophy and the science that is being done, you know, in our world that trickles down to us. Into our mainstream culture through television, as you were saying, Tanya, media, movies, books, all of that. If you if you begin to study philosophy and science, you will see the reflection of all of those ideas filtering through pop culture. And we don't get the thoughts as they were wrestled out in these places. We just get the pop culture version of it and we eat it like we consume it like junk food but ideas have consequences. And so one of the philosophies or one of the philosophy camps that kind of began thinking through knowledge and all of that decided that it was all language based. And so it's just language based. There's ultimately nothing beyond that. And so we kind of construct reality through our language. And there's a lot of that, obviously we don't have time to get into, but one of the things that kind of went into that whole line of thinking was that language was used as power over. And so anything that that would seek to any kind of knowledge that would seek to have power over you, you need to challenge. you need to question. Wow. and so that those philosophies are are some of the philosophies philosophies that kind of begin to infiltrate the culture of even what we're seeing today of challenging any anything that that would, you know that anybody that would seek to speak into me as an authority is invalid, kind of a thing, because you're just seeking to have power over me, and you're just using your words to to control me, kind of a thing. And I'm oversimplifying this philosophy. Obviously, we don't have time to get into it, but I want to read you this quote by Viktor Frankl because understanding the power of ideas and the power of philosophies and how they carry out in our world is essential. Viktor Frankl he was he's a Jew who who was in the concentration camps in Auschwitz and he's also a philosopher and he says if we present a man with a concept of man which is not true we may well corrupt him i became acquainted with the last stage of that corruption in my second concentration camp Auschwitz the gas chambers of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but the product of heredity and environment, or as the Nazi like to say, of blood and soil. I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Maidnik were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. Mm. Oh,
1: yeah, so, you're I, back to that point. The unchecked philosophies, I mean, they're... Incredibly persuasive, incredibly persuasive. So, you know, to to everybody, we're responsible for what we allow to influence us. And if we're not taking that serious, if we're not taking serious what's influencing our lives, then we're not taking serious where we want to go. Because whatever's influencing us will ultimately take us to where we go. So you, if you're not, if you don't care about your future and, and you don't care about where you end up in your future, then you don't have to worry about what you're feeding off of. But if you care about your future, if you want to go somewhere and you want your family to go somewhere, you want your business to go somewhere, you want your community, you want your creative arts to go somewhere, then you better start checking the philosophies that are influencing you. And you need to determine what you're feasting off of rather than allow society to push on you what they think you should be thinking about.
2: That's right. So I just want to just pray over you as, as you are wrestling through the questions. We're in a season right now where there are so many things that we are wrestling through, so many questions that are coming up, and so many people that are uh, just having such a hard time with all the chaos and confusion and, and the pain that our world is experiencing right now. And in the midst of this, I want to present to you both the God who is true and real and personal. He He has revealed Himself as Emmanuel, God with us, a God who draws near to us. And the evidence for the Christian faith, the evidence for for God's existence, is so overwhelming. He He actually, you know, a lot of people question whether he why has he made it so hard to find him i actually think that he has overwhelmingly given us evidence for his existence in the universe through creation through nature through the things that we see around us in our hearts through our consciences through the things that that convict us of wrongdoing even when we'd rather not be convicted through the evidences of the resurrection the bible says that that Jesus presented himself to over 500 people. There were, there were countless witnesses who saw him alive after he raised from the dead. From the word of God, the fact that the Bible is the only book from ancient history that has the amount of original manuscripts left, in the, the, the amount between the Bible and other uh, other ancient manuscripts is is crazy. It's just insane. When you do the research and when you when you ask the questions and you get into those things, you begin to realize that in the end, everybody has a choice which evidence they're going to listen to, which voices they're going to they're going to believe. I just want to invite you to consider that there is a God who created this universe, who created each one of you, and who has drawn near in the person of Jesus. And, and he, he provided a way for us to be made whole, to be healed, to be forgiven, to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to one another, to be reconciled to ourselves. And so I just bless you in your search. I bless you in your questions. I bless you during this time as you are reaching out. That you would recognize this season, not as a season of hopelessness and confusion, but as a season where the questions led you to God, as a season where the wrestling led you to God, a season that because you you were, you were had to face things that you've never faced before, that it opened you up to experience God in new ways, to encounter God in new ways. And I want to end with this quote. This is from A Praying Life by Paul Miller. He says, since, pray, since a praying life is interconnected with every part of our lives, learning to pray is almost identical to maturing over a lifetime. So don't hunt for a feeling in prayer. Deep in our psyches, we want an experience with God or an experience in prayer. Once we make that our quest, we lose God. You don't experience God. You get to know him. You submit to him, you enjoy him. He is, after all, a person. And so when you have moments where you feel far away from God, think of how you've gotten to know your husband, your best friend, your children, the people that you love over a lifetime, over a, period, over a long period of time. It wasn't one experience. It wasn't one encounter. It was a, the many little things over a span of time That caused you to fall in love, that caused you to recognize that this is a true friend, that caused you to recognize how much you love this person the more that you get to know him or her. And the same is with God, that He is present in every circumstance, that He is present in every moment, whether you're feeling Him in that moment or not, whether you're having a crazy experience, encounter or not. He is the God who has uh, shown Himself, and you can know Him through His word, you can know Him through what He's done. And you can know him as you pray and you, you, you pour out your heart to him and you see him respond to you in little ways every day in your life.
1: I love that. I love that. And if you want to know more about Carlette, I encourage you to go to craigandcarlette.com, craigandcarlette.com. If you want her to come speak, you can fill out the information there. You can also follow her on Facebook. I encourage you to continue the discussion. Join the tribe. Begin to ask the questions. We would love to hear more about the questions you're asking. And I will definitely bring Carlette on again. So if you have some questions, ask them. And I will bring her on an episode in the future to ask specific questions that you as an audience are asking. Tanya?
0: Thank you, Carlette, for being here today. We loved having you. (laughs) Virtual hug. (laughs) If you felt empowered by today's episode, subscribe and join our tribe to find out more about our masterclasses, e-courses and live events. You can also find us on craigmuster.com and please leave a comment below and tell others about The Craig Muster Show.